the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. God doesn't always heal as we would sometimes wish. And I think that he may have learned that from his own experience, that God can and does use sickness and affliction for God's purposes. Never one to shy away from a difficult theological topic, Pastor Leighton Sheely is back on the radio with his study in the book of James, and we're coming down toward the end. This is a broadcast called Study Verse by Verse. And if you've missed any of the past programs, you can find them on our website, studyversebyverse.com. We're an outreach of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, and their website is highlands.us. I'm Mike Trout. As always, glad you've joined us, and here's Pastor Layton. One of the last things that Jesus said was that healing would accompany those who believe. That the same power that healed in the day of Jesus' ministry is alive and well today. And James encourages a sick person to call for the elders of the church. The term elder or presbyter was used soon after the church was established on the day of Pentecost. These were the men who were put into leadership over the local church and given responsibility for them. Uh, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in each of the churches that they established, and Paul instructed Titus to appoint elders in every town in Crete. They would pray over the sick person, calling upon the Lord for healing anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, the early church practiced house calls, and we still do today. Pastors and elders are still performing house calls today. But the point here is is that uh, for the early church people, church wasn't something you did on Sunday at a certain place. It was not. It was a lifestyle that daily they were in contact with each other. They were praying for each other and with each other that They were appealing to the power and the presence of God and experiencing healing as a daily part of life. Anointing with oil was often used by the early church in their prayers for healing. Oil was both a medicine as well as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And the phrase, in the name of the Lord, should be taken as meaning by the authority of the Lord, not as some kind of a formula of words. Any healing is due to the power of and action of the Lord, not any human effort or any formula. People have a tendency to get caught up in trying to identify a formula. If we can just get the words right, the sequence, the selection, if we can just get the oil right, how is it applied, and so forth. But more important than oil is the function of the elders in prayer for the sick person that's made obvious in the next verse. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, the United Bible Society's Handbook on Translation provides this insight. It says, the word prayer is not the usual word for prayer in the New Testament. This prayer represents a fervent wish or strong petition. Faith here means the faith of the elders, not the person who is sick. So another way of expressing this is, if the church leaders believe strongly in the power of God when they pray, then the sick will be saved. 
Now, the faith of the sick person is not altogether irrelevant because that person's faith is expressed and exercised in calling the elders. It says to save, will save the sick man. That word save can oftentimes in the New Testament refer to deliverance from sin and spiritual death, but also can be applied to the restoration of physical health as well. And it says here, so there's no ambiguity. It's the Lord who will raise him up. Healing doesn't come from the oil, and it doesn't come from the elder. It comes from the Lord who does the healing. Now that then brings up the question, well, what happens when God does not heal the sick? Is it because there's a lack of faith, as some TV preachers would have us believe? Or is it because there's some unconfessed sin? And the answer is that there can be, but not always. Consider, for instance, the Apostle Paul who had the gift of healing. And yet he seemed unable to deliver his friend Epaphroditus from an illness that almost caused him death in Philippians. And in 2 Timothy he wrote, I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. So even though he had the gift of healing, he didn't always heal those in his presence. God doesn't always heal as we would sometimes wish. And I think that he may have learned that from his own experience, that God can and does use sickness and affliction for God's purposes. In 2 Corinthians, uh, the apostle talks about this thorn in his flesh, which he calls a messenger of Satan, and that he had prayed to be relieved of this affliction. And unquestionably, Paul was a man of great faith, and yet Paul says that God allowed this affliction to keep him humble, that God used this affliction for a spiritual purpose. He heard God say, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so a true prayer of faith will acknowledge that God is sovereign and that He knows best and that He will not always choose to heal every time we request it. Now, some people get angry at God when God doesn't answer their prayers. But trusting God only as long as He cooperates with our plans and our agenda is really no trust at all. We as believers have a different paradigm. We are not fixated on the things of this world. We have an eternal viewpoint. And and we know that God will heal. But sometimes He doesn't patch up the body we have. He gives us a brand new one. When we leave this world, we're going to be given a brand new body that's going to be incorruptible. And it continues on, if He has committed sins... He will be forgiven. And that word if is very important because sin can cause sickness. But unlike some preachers who teach that any sickness in the life of a believer is the product of unconfessed sin, it's not biblical. It's not a biblical teaching. Jesus himself dispelled that notion in John chapter 9. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, the disciples assumed that he was born blind because of sin, either his own or his parents. And Jesus said, It was neither. He was born blind so that God could be glorified. And how was that done? Well, in the history of the world, there have been people who have lost their sight and got it back. But never in the history of the world was there ever a person born blind that was given sight. But that man who was born blind was given sight 
by Jesus and God was glorified. Now, sin may or may not be the cause of illness, but an invitation to confess of sin is given, and elders are to receive that. Verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, the word therefore connects the thoughts of the preceding verse with this verse. And and the meaning is, is because prayer has such power and God answers prayer, confess your sins to one another. Now, there's a distinction between verse 15 and verse 16 in that in verse 15 it's the elders who are to pray for the sick, but in verse 16 it is the members of the greater Christian community who are to pray for each other and exchange confession. Confess your sins one to another. Now, in order to be effective, confession of sin has to be made both to the person, especially if the person, the person is wrong, as well as to God, because sin creates a barrier in both cases. It creates a barrier between us and the person who was injured and also between us and God. In order for both of those barriers to be removed, confession needs to be made in both cases. Now, this is a principle, a Bible principle, that needs to be applied with wisdom. Because there are occasions, there are circumstances where a confession of sin might do more harm than good. And so it's appropriate to get God's wisdom in this manner. But the point is that whenever possible, any barriers between us and God and us and others should be removed. The word confess is in the present tense. It talks about a continual practice. What he's saying here is you should get into the habit of confessing or admitting your sins to each other. In other words, we should live transparent lives between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we did that, then our fellowship would be greatly enhanced. Any grudges and resentments and forgiveness would be put on the table and dealt with, and we'd live in much greater harmony as the result. And, and by the way, one of the reasons for growth groups, small groups, is to recapture this sense of deep community. Because when we come to church on Sunday morning, it's a good thing. But there's not an awful lot of opportunity for us to develop significant relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. That takes place when we join a a growth group. And we have a chance to do life as Christians together, where we can carry one another's burdens, when we can fulfill the law of Christ. Now, Christ, uh, God is, uh, Christ has made it possible for us to go directly to God for forgiveness. Uh, but their confessing sins to one another also has another important place in our church family. And that is that when we go through some struggle with sin, it's important we find someone who can provide support, guidance, and encouragement for us. And that's the context of the Celebrate Recovery ministry. People who have gone through some besetting sin and overcome are the best people to help others who are dealing with that besetting sin, whatever it is. It says, pray for one another that you may be healed. He's talking about intercessory prayer. You're interceding in prayer on behalf of someone else. And the goal of mutual confession and intercession is that we might be healed. In order for things to be healed, it needs to be exposed. It needs to be exposed to those in an environment where healing can take place. He goes on to say the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So he's emphasizing the power of prayer here. And the person is righteous not because they are sinless, but because they have confessed their sins and endeavor to live right in the sight of God. And the righteous person gets what they request in prayer because they want what God wants. 
Prayer is powerful because they have discerned the Lord's leading already. You see, hinders, sin hinders our ability to pray. Now, God hears the prayers of the sinful, but sin dulls our sensitivity to God, and we become less and less in tune with Him. Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno has been taking us through the book of James for a number of weeks, and he will wrap things up tomorrow at this same time. I hope you can join us. And during this unusual and often difficult experience we're all going through, if we can help you, please give the church a call at 650-873-4095. Write this number down, 650-873-4095. And there are a couple of ways you can help us. You can pray for us. Specifically, remember the ministry outreach over the weekend. It gets difficult at times as we try to be effective in our teaching and worship in an unusual way. Also, of course, financially, we are continuing on the air, paying our bills while the budget is stretched to the limit. And go to the website or give us a call and let us know you listen. Take just a couple of minutes. That would mean the world to us. I'm Mike Trout. Join us tomorrow as we put a ribbon on this teaching in the book of James and study verse by verse.